We are in the middle of a series called, Who Do You Think You Are? And what we wanted to talk about in terms of the series was uh, identity. In terms of identity, how does identity work in terms of even what we are seeing today in terms of our culture and our society? How does it work? Uh, what kind of power does it have over us in terms of how we see ourselves, uh, how we see others, um, and, and what kind of, kind of, not just power, but influence does identity have in terms of our faith? Um, and you, if you were here last week as uh, Chris kind of kicked us off, um, he really did an amazing job just kicking us off. And I'm going to recap some of it this morning because we're building on the same foundation uh, of how we see and talk about identity. So we're going to start with four primary things, okay, two ideas but two thoughts each in terms of how we understand identity. We're going to talk about how the culture talks about identity, our culture, our current Western culture, and what Jesus has to say, all right? Now, uh, he gave the example, go to the next slide, where in terms of culture, it is true. Like right now, be true to yourself is a big part of just how do you see you? How do you function as you? You just do you boo kind of thing, you know what I'm saying? Like it's a, it's a very much like if you, if you like it, do it, let your freak flag fly, you know, like that's, that's you, right? So, you know, you just do you, be true to who you, your authentic you is, are. I don't know how to say that properly, all right? Be true to that. And, and as Chris said last week, the problem is that a lot of those things have to do with circumstances. A lot of them have to do, I mean, you, there's so many ways to identify yourself. You could do it based off of, you know, your role. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a mom. You know, I'm a, I'm a career person. I'm a lawyer. I'm a manager. I'm a pastor, right? It can be personality traits. You know, I'm a seven. You know, I'm a seven with a this wing. You know, uh, if you're a disc person, I'm an ID, if you can't tell, um, you know, in terms of my personality. It's lots of things like that that can, it can be our political party. It can be even our, in our it's the things we necessarily want to draw dividing lines over, in our society right now, that can be a part of, you know, the, the hat is what he took all of it. It's like putting on a hat in terms of our identity, in terms of how that looks. But Jesus, in terms of Jesus, he wants us to be true to who he says we are. And that's the, that's the thrust of this series. Last week, we'll talk about that recap. And then today and next week, we're going to talk about who he says we are and how that, how that should mold us and make us and drive us. And the biggest thing to know is that in terms of culture, in terms of these hats we wear, identity really is achieved, okay? It's performative, which simply means that in, you, once you sort of choose your lane, once you sort of choose your, your identity or you want to live into that identity, it is a lot of work, right? It's not just something you say, it's something you have to keep up, you have to keep in step with, okay? There's a lot to me in terms of how we, we, we stay aligned with all the other ways in which people say, well, this is what that person looks like, this is what that person looks like, here's what that identity means, and we have to play into that. Now, it causes issues for all of us, okay? It causes issues for us. Number one is that it really, really requires us to put up a front sometimes to not necessarily, we want to be true to ourselves, but, you know, those Instagram moms have to look a certain way, right, moms, right? They're like, you know, you can't show what your house really looks like, you can show the corner you just cleaned, Right? Like, that's, that's kind of a thing, so it, it, it's, a, it's a problem, and, and this happens a lot in terms of crisis in our life. There are times of crisis where our identity is challenged and things change, okay? I know for a lot of men and women, it's, it's a big deal when you change careers. If you get fired or you lose a job or you lose a field, 
that you've done for so long, and then you have to make big changes. It really messes with your identity. Same thing with when kids come into home from mom and dad's. It messes with who you thought you were, right? And you start to have some crisis, an identity crisis, if you will. And that becomes a real problem because it's so much work in terms of how these identities work in our culture to keep up the pace of what that identity means and to live out the way people tell us it's supposed to be. Now, Jesus, of course, the identity we get is received and not earned. It's something that's been given to us. It's not something that we earn or that we can achieve by our efforts. And Kristen, an amazing job walking us through the gospel last week and talking about how that looks for us. It's a lens by which Jesus gives us to see all the roles and all the personalities and all the things in our life. We have a lens instead of a hat to wear. Here's one of the passages we focused on last week, because this was the big part we wanted to talk about, was that we are God's masterpiece. In terms of the work of salvation, the work through the gospel that he's doing in our lives, we are his masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do all the good things he planned for us. There's purpose. Now, here's the problem. With a lot of scripture, even in terms of even just reading this passage, if you have an identity on your you know, hat on, and you are living out this cultural worldview of you just got to be true to yourself, the problem is, is that when Scripture does allow us to see the unique way in which God is doing a work in us, the unique nature of his uh, call on our lives, guys, the problem is, is that if we have on that be true to yourself thing, we can actually approach Scripture and read those verses with a very individualistic, narcissistic view in terms of that saying, you know, I'm God's masterpiece and all my faults and failures, God just loves me exactly the way I am. That's not true, okay? Now, let me rephrase it. He does love you and your faults and failures, he understands. It does not mean that he wants you trapped in addiction. Nod your head if you're with me, right? He doesn't want you trapped, living loose and free sexually. Nod your head if you're with me, right? So that's what it means by that. But, but sometimes when we read this stuff, like, oh, he's just doing a work of grace in my life. And all of our faults and failures, we can have this really individualistic idea of our faith. And it's like, yeah, God does love you. He doesn't want you to stay there. That's how much he loves you, Right? So you got to be careful in terms of your identity, even how you read scripture, how you see these things. We want to know what's true about what he says about it. We want to know what's true in terms of how this is an identity we receive. It's not earned. It's not achieved. I love this quote. This is by Reuben Papian. He's an author in terms of, a, in terms of how we think. Can't recommend all his stuff, but um, he's got great thoughts in terms of how the brain works, how thoughts work. He says, society demands that we present an identity that can be comfortably cataloged, okay? You have to have something that, you know, again, the whole freak flag fly thing, not that many people are comfortable doing it because, you know, it's really hard to stand alone. So society demands we have something that's kind of cataloged. He's a Harvard man. She's a wild girl. He's an airhead. She's an executive, you know, so forth and so on. And it causes turmoil for us because we feel dishonest or cheated if we don't have like an easily identifiable mask. Again, because we don't really want to feel all alone in isolation with the identity we choose or the identity we create, no matter how true to ourselves we want to be, we feel that need, as Chris kind of read that Romans 12 passage last week, we feel the need to conform to the patterns of this world. 
versus really focusing on what does transformation look like in Christ? Why do we feel this pressure? Well, here's why. Because our identity, we need it to align and support what we believe is true. Okay? We need it to align and support with what we believe is true about God, about life. And this is where the conflict and sometimes the crisis comes in. This is why many Christians sometimes struggle to take their faith seriously. Because the identity hat they're wearing, the identity they've chosen, really they begin to see some contrast and conflict with what Scripture says. So they have to really kind of take their faith at, at kind of a, a kind of a, at ease or you know, a little bit lackadaisical in terms of their faith in God. Oh, I believe in God. They can't get too serious because then they'd have to reconcile, and that's very, very hard to do. We need our identity to support us and to align with what we actually believe is true, which is why it's so important to have the right identity. So important to understand the identity we receive in Christ is the one he wants us to live out of. He wants us to have faith you know, out of. He wants us to express our faith out of as well. To last week, again, we talked about the work of God in us in terms of us being God's masterpiece and the work he's doing through salvation and through the gospel. But today we're going to focus on the relationship he gives us. And this is a great kind of summary. We're going to read a couple of Paul's summary passages. It says, in Christ Jesus, we're all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed yourself with Christ. This idea of kind of clothing ourselves, becoming something new. And it says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now this is not an argument for you know, gender neutrality, right? This is an argument that Paul is making in terms of a summary of there is a new identity that you have, and it's not tribal, okay? It's not something you're born with. It's not something tribal. It's not something in terms of your circumstances. He goes on to say there is a, there is a new identity that is given to you for you to receive, and that's your faith in Christ, that you become a children. You are children of God is what he says, your children of God. Now, I have to stop here for, and we're going to spend literally three minutes to talk about, and I don't usually get, you know, too much anxiety over words in, ter- in terms of specific words, but this is a big one. This is a theological issue that many people just sort of glaze over, and I want us to have, make sure we're all in agreement and understand this before we go into the story, the actual text we're going to focus on today, what Jesus tells. We are all God's creation. And children. Everybody with me? You might have heard this phrase before. We're all God's creation. We're all God's children. Well, one of those statements is true. Okay? One of those statements is true. And let's talk about why the words matter. Let's talk about why the words matter. First and foremost, we have creation. We are born in the image of God. We've been created in the image of God. This is the all skate. This is the thing that's totally true, completely true right? We, are, we belong to him. We are accountable to him. There's a whole lot of scriptures at the end that talk about all the knees are going to bow, right? So there's, there's an element of that, that whether or not you even believe in God, whether or not you choose to be on his plan, whether or not this is a, a deal for you, doesn't matter. You're still his creation. And you have been born, as Chris read the, the Psalms last week, you were formed in your mother's womb. You are his creation, 
You belong to him. But we are not all children of God. And this is, again, this is a phrase you have to be careful. You see it kind of shared sometimes in beautiful, I don't know, picturesque memes with sunrises and flowers and, you know, things like that. We're all children of God. That's not actually true. This is a dividing line of Scripture, meaning that children are redeemed by the Son of God. Okay? Children, if you read a lot of what Paul writes, he's saying every time he talks about that, that aspect of, the, of what Chris talked about last week in terms of the gospel, the work of God in your life, this is the signifying event, or if you should say dividing thing, that just separates us from being just his creation to being children, to be able to call him Abba Father in order to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. This is a big deal. So I would say we in the room, I can say maybe for all of us in here, maybe those watching online, I can make a good general guess that we are all children of God. But I can't make blanket statements about culture or about America, right? And just say, well, we're all children of God. That's not true. We're all creation of God. We belong to him. We're accountable to him. We're going to, you know, the knees are going to bow. It's just going to happen. But, but we're not all children of God. This is reserved. Hear that word. This is reserved for those who are redeemed by the Son of God. And it's a big part of our identity that we receive from him. Here's how Jesus, here's how Jesus described it. And we're going to spend most of our time in Luke 15 today. So if you want to pull out your phone or your Bible, or I'll put it on the screen for those watching online. But this is, this is a big part of our lives, this understanding not how, how God views the lost. This is a part of the big chapter of how he views the lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost treasures. Like, There's a big deal there. But he brings into this story something that he didn't bring into the other stories, which is an identity in this story that makes a, it's a big difference in terms of how we view our faith. So Luke 15, we're going to start in verse 11 in terms of what Jesus says. To illustrate the point further, because he's already been making a point, right? He says, he says the story, there's a story. This is not real. This is not a real person. This is a parable that a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, there's a whole bunch of Jewish context here I can't go into in terms of the older son getting more of the estate and things like that. And anyway, I don't know how it all worked. And it was pretty insulting to, to the dad for the son to say, I wish you were kind of dead. I wish I would had what you, you, know, you were going to give me if you were dead. I don't know if your children have ever said that to you, but just wait. They, teenage years are coming, okay? <laughs> their eyes say it. It's not the words. Their eyes say it, right? So this is what the son says. And, the, and here's the thing. The father agrees. And so a few days later, the younger son packs up all his belongings and he moved to a distant land and there he wasted <laughs> all his money in wild living. Fill in the blanks for yourself. About the time, his money ran out. And I highlighted about the time because I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but there's always this thing where things get bad for you that it's about that time, about the time the money runs out, about the time the months, the bills come due, about the time that happens. We've all had this experience, right? He's had this experience. About the time the money ran out, guess what? It got worse. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Again, lots of Jewish context. 
the worst job imaginable. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. No charity, no generosity, nothing. Now we have to stop here for just a minute because, again, as I walk through this story, there's lots of things that, are gonna, that I can really pull out for us to just kind of see in terms of our understanding of the relationship that Jesus is going to bring, bring forth in this parable. First thing we need to understand is that our truth, right, our truth, our desires, our plans, you know, put together our passions, our leanings, our, our way, they really only have one ultimate destination. They only have one ultimate destination, which is failure. Okay? Failure. An ultimate destination. See, we all start off as God's creation. That's the point of this story. There were these, these kids that have been created by the Father. They, they start, we all start off in this place, but we all have the tendency of the younger son, because of our broken nature, to love ourselves more than God, to love our path more than his path, to love our way more than his way, to love our, our desires more than his desires, to, love, to, to seek out our own truth and be true to ourselves versus what he says is true. That's just a natural thing in our sinful nature. So we all desire to do that. The problem is that when it's all about that time that it all doesn't work, and about that time that things get worse for you, and about that time that you tend to fail you more than anyone else has failed you, about that time that you begin to realize these things, there is no one left but yourself. And sometimes I tell people in terms of just an understanding of how God sees things is that Listen, in terms of my faith, I've made a choice to listen to his truth. I've made a choice to put my trust in him and his truth and his desires and his plans because I want him to be the ultimate decider of things in my life. I want to be the ultimate destination. I want to be in his hands. And when people don't do that, I don't get upset with them. I just say, listen, that's fine, but what you're trusting in is you. The truth you're trusting in is your truth. The desires you're trusting in is your desires, right? Like it's just you. And so when, all, when it's all said and done, regardless of whether you even get to experience a, a modicum of success, there's an ultimate destination that will fail you because we believe in eternity. We believe we were made for eternity and we will all spend eternity somewhere. But if it's you trusting in you, there's only one destination for you. And that's just where we start. No charity, no generosity, no mercy. Why? Because he has to live out the consequences. Now, we see when we continue the story, he says that he finally came to his senses, which is a big deal, right? You'd think he would have gotten here before now, but we don't know how much time it took, but he finally came to his senses. At some point, there was a turning point. And he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. And he goes, says, I'm going to go home to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. Now, the reason we know this is substantial is because if he was just wanting to manipulate the dad, there's a lot of other things he could probably say, but we understand this is a a beginning of transition and transformation in him because he wants his dad to know that he, he understands the way in which he's fallen away from God's plan. So I've sinned against both heaven and you, which is a big deal. I'm no longer worthy, which is true. 
to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Here's the key. I'll stop on this one quickly. Is that repentance unlocks this identity that we receive. Okay? Repentance is what unlocks the identity received. Again, Chris did an amazing job last week just walking you through the gospel and the work that God is doing in you. It's why, that's why you are God's masterpiece. I'll just simply say that the idea of repentance is that his kindness, we're told that the scripture says, his kindness leads us to repentance. That's what his kindness does. It draws us to him. It allows us the time to come to our senses. Okay, a lot of people struggle, why would God let a bad thing like that happen to him? Listen, God does not bypass our consequences. Okay? God does not bypass our consequences always. Like he, let, he, you know, he squandered his money and he made his decisions and he wound up in the, in the pig trough. Those are the consequences he had to walk through. But it was still God's kindness. And the Holy Spirit, as we, we know from the, from the New Testament, that was doing a work in the Son and does the work in us to give us time to come to our senses because repentance itself is what really unlocks this difference between being God's creation and being a child of God. Continue on in verse 20. He does return, right? He returned home to his father. Don't miss this part because repentance does require action, okay? Okay, it's not enough to just think. It's not enough just to think about what you'd like to do. You have to actually make commitments. You have to take steps. That's a part of repentance. And you'll even see this. It's part of repentance is confession. What he's getting ready to do. While he was still yet a long way off, though, his father saw him coming and filled with, read the two words out loud, filled with what? Yeah, filled with love and filled with compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced his son and he kissed him. Big deal. Ran to his son. Filled with love and compassion. Embraced him. Kissed him. And his son said to him, Keep going. Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven, or sorry, I both sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. That's his plan. Please take me on as your hired servant. Now, I'm going to stop for a moment here because this is a big deal. This is one where I think most people struggle in terms of what hat you are choosing to wear, what identity you feel like you have no choice but to wear that really stops you from, from receiving the identity that he's given you. We feel like our past, right? We feel like our past, dis- or sorry, our past disqualifies us, not does not, but disqualifies us from a relationship. We feel like our past does disqualify us from this relationship with God. Okay, we, we might know up here that God has to love me. But we don't necessarily feel like he p- could possibly love me. Right? We, we, we struggle with the idea that, that, that in terms of this, in terms of our past, in terms of whether it's, whether it's last night or 35 years ago, our hang-ups are going to continue to move us towards an identity we put our, that puts our, puts our hat on, identity that our culture says is okay, versus receiving this relational identity, receiving this, this beautiful picture of a relationship with God because of our screw-ups, because of our mistakes, 
because we might actually believe we are not worthy to be loved that way. We're not worthy to be called a child of God. And, and, and that's why you can't go run past this part of the story. When the father sees this son, again, repentance has happened, confession is coming. He sees him, he immediately feels love and compassion for him and runs to him and embraces him and kisses him. I'm telling you, everybody listening to Jesus tell the story, all the Jewish dads listening to him tell the story, at this point would have been disgusted by this idea. Because that would never have been, in terms of the hat you, you wear, that would have never been culturally accepted. And yet here's Jesus painting a picture. He says, listen, your, your past, it doesn't disqualify you. Right? It doesn't disqualify you from from, from, from this relationship with God. And then the father does something again that no one expects hearing the story. No one expects, let alone what he's already done to, to receive his son. Here's what he does. His father said to the servants, quick, bring him the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet. I can't go into the context of this, but all three of those things have huge context in Jewish culture, in, in terms of the family culture. He restores his dignity. He gives him authority. He gives him purpose in terms of the family. There's so much here that, that the father restores to his son in the moment he sees him. And then he says, we got to kill the calf. We've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. Listen to the words. He was dead. Dead in relationship. Maybe not dead physically, but dead in his relationship. Not connected, not a part of the family, not there. Still his creation, but not his son anymore. And he says, but now he's returned to life. He's been, he was lost, but now he's found. Let's party, right? Let the party begin. That's a nice short speech by the dad. Let's celebrate. Our identity received, our identity received is a relationship because we're children of God. That if this, is, this story has been your journey in some way, shape, and form, you were born the creation. You were born a part of who, you know, you were born in the image of God. And at some point in your life, you've, you know, whether it's been the, the, as drastic as the prodigal son's story or you know, as simple as just being raised in a Christian home and hearing that God loves you and that this, he wants you to be his own. He wants you to be his child. And you've made that decision and you've confessed and you've, you've become the new person in Christ. That new person in Christ is not a role or a function. That new person in Christ is a relationship. Because you now belong to him in such a way that you are now his son. You are now his daughter. And that's your identity. And you didn't get to choose the identity. The identity that he chose was going to be, can I just be a hired servant? They have food enough to spare. 
Like, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Can I just be the hired servant? And the father, the father is the one who restores him. The father is the one who brings him from death to life and says, no, no, no. I know you're not worthy. I'm the one who gets to choose whether or not you're worthy. And you're going to be a son. And he says that to us. You're going to be a son. You're going to be a daughter. That's the identity that you've been given to receive. You can't earn it. Again, I won't recap it all. Chris did an amazing job walking us through this. You cannot earn this. There's nothing to boast about. We're his kids because he said we were. Now, there is another big part of the story. It says, meanwhile, the older son, we almost forgot about him, right? He was in the fields working. When he heard, returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. What's going on? Your brother's back! I can only imagine how they said that, right? Your brother's back. I don't know how he said it. And your father has killed the fatted calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was, what's the word? Say it out loud. Yeah, not happy, right? Older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, begged the son, come. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me, right? You never gave me even one of the, a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, again, wild living, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. That's a big deal. It took years to fatten the calves up, right? That's a, that's a, that's a big deal. When the father said to him, look, dear son, you... You've always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. Do not lose sight of this statement. Everything I have is yours, son. And he goes on to say, but we had to celebrate this happy day because your brother was dead, true, and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. The older brother, it's often when you hear this the story, this parable, the older brother does sort of depict, you know, God's chosen people. And in the, in the context of, of Jesus' audience, it would have been the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish, you know, leaders. It's, that's who the older brother was. And they were angry about it. And they were upset about it. Because they're like, we've never, we've never refused to do anything you told us to do. We have slaved for you. And the church, it, it really does represent us. But here's the point I don't want you to, to miss, okay? In terms of this identity, in terms of this relationship we're given. If you don't value the, relationship, the relational identity, you don't value what you've been given, you will forget who you really are. Okay? You will forget who you really are. 
If you do not value, and I'm talking about as a priority, as the priority of your life, if you do not value the relationship you are given in your faith, then you will forget who you really are and you will engage this world and you will engage your family and you will engage your social media and forget who you are and step into who you think you're supposed to be. Well, I'm supposed to be an ally. I'm supposed to be anti this. I'm supposed to be all of these things. And you will fight and argue and you will persuade and you will try to do this. And at the end, you'll be like, God bless, right? And you will be upset by people and you will be offended by people and you will argue for your truth that you think is more scriptural than their truth and you will forget who you really are. There will be no security. There will be nothing for you, firm, firm foundation for you to stand on because you didn't value who you actually are in him. That you are a son. That you're a daughter of God. That when you, when you understand that that's something that you receive, that you didn't earn, you can't earn it. But yet, so many Christians have, that's there for them. That's always been there for them, and yet they didn't value it. They didn't understand it. They didn't grow in their spiritual growth in terms of intimacy and relationship with God. They never, they never took any steps to grow in that area. So they just began to be like the older brother. They began to view themselves as a role that Christianity or being a part of this family is just a function. Being a part of this family is just a label. Being a part of this family is just a, a sort of a ticket out of hell at the end of life. And that's not it. And if you don't value it, you're going to forget. Guys, I'm just telling you, you're going you're to miss it. You're going to miss one of the most basic principles of the identity that you've been given by God. Who do you think you are? Who does God say you are? You are, you're his. You are either his creation or you are his child. Either way, you belong to him. But in terms of this way, your identity, your new identity in Christ is now a relationship with him. Guys, it changes everything. It changes how we engage the world. It changes how we honor our own families. It changes how we honor one another. It changes how we live out. That call we talked about in a series ago in terms of how we love our neighbors who don't look like us and think like us and believe like us. How do we do that? And not just wind up like everybody else, hating people for not loving people enough. You guys see this ridiculousness, right? In your social media feed, I do. Hating other people and judging other people because of how judging they are? Come, come on. You've forgotten who you are. You are a son, you are a daughter of God. If you've made that decision, if you've made that transition... And this is a part of your identity, guys, that, man, if you don't value it, if you don't value what's always been available to you, see the older son, it's always been available to you. You'll slave away, you'll, you'll, you'll really mess up what you think the Christian life looks like. And you will really mess up what you think your identity is supposed to be. Here's another great summary passage. Church writes, uh, Paul writes the church in Ephesus. He says, all praise to God the Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace in which he poured out on us who belong to Jesus, to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness, he is so rich in grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. He has showered uh, his kindness on us along with all wisdom and all understanding. And you skip down to verse 13. It says, and when you believed in Jesus, when you believed in Christ, he identified you. Okay? Going back to the fact that this is not something you earn. This is not a hat you put on. This is not performative in terms of you having to, to work for this. No, when you believed in Jesus, when you made this decision, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago by sealing you with the Spirit. So the reality is this. You belong to God. I don't know if anybody's ever going to question that, okay? You belong to God. You do. You are either his creation or his children. So who are you? Don't let the identity that you think you're supposed to wear, don't let the identity that culture has told you to wear, to be true to yourself, to find your truth, don't let the identity keep you from experiencing an identity that does not, it's not based on your performance. It's not based on you keeping up a mask for other people to see. It's not based on you. It's something he chose for you, that he identified you to be his son, to be his daughter through Christ, in Christ. So who are you? I asked Chris uh, today just to come and lead us in a song after we pray. Because whether you're online watching right now or you're in the room, I, I, here's the deal. I cannot take for granted that you've made this decision. Okay, I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how long you've been around. If you have never made the decision to receive Christ, for it to be a personal thing for you, to be able to surrender your life and say, I want to be, come to your senses to return to the Father and say, please, God, forgive me. And then to be restored as a son and a daughter of God. So I'm going to pray and invite you to make that decision today. Listen, maybe you're just, maybe you've just spent a little bit too much time like the older brother and you just have lost the value of the relationship that God has blessed you with. You don't value it maybe the way you once did. Your faith is stagnant. Your spiritual growth is almost dead. You feel like you already have most of the knowledge you need and you're just living out your desires, your truth, your plan. You need to be reminded 
that everything he has for you, you have always had at your disposal. But you have to remember the relationship is your identity. And maybe you just need to be reminded. Maybe you just need to like rejoice with gratitude that the grace of God that he's poured out on you and he's poured out on me that we get to be children of God. We get to be a part of the family of God. It's beautiful. Maybe you don't thank God enough for that. So we're going to pray and then we're going to just sing this chorus together as we get ready to close today. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. I'm extraordinarily thankful that the gift that I've received is an identity to live out of, to live from. That it's not based on my performance. It's not based on what I'm supposed to be doing. It's not based on how I'm supposed to make other people feel in terms of how I look and present the right kind of thing for people to see. God, everything that I have from you is from you. And everything good about me is from you. And everything positive about my life is from you. And every, everything that reflects good in my life is because of you and my relationship with you. God, I'm praying today for those in the room and those online who have never made this decision. If you're in the room, I'm going to have you raise your hand. If you're online, just type the word yes. Yes, you want to receive the grace of God. Yes, you want to receive the gift of salvation. And I'm going to have you pray with me. If you're in the room, raise your hand. If you're online, you can type yes. And I'm going to lead us through this prayer. Simply pray, God, God, I so long to experience this identity in you. Just as the son said, my life, I have sinned against heaven and against you, God. And, and, and ultimately, we are not worthy to be your children, but because of the grace through your son, through his sacrifice on our behalf. You've given us the ability to be called sons and daughters of God. As you had just confessed that in your heart, today you're making a decision to see a life transformed by him. Confess that. Repent in that. For those in the room, God, that just need to be reminded because we have long since really not valued our relationship with you. We are caught in traps of this culture and our identity and what it says we're supposed to be and how it says we're supposed to act. And we have really forsaken and forgotten who we really are in you. God, just remind us today. Fill our hearts today. Spur us to do what we need to do to grow in our relationship with you. And God, we all this morning will rejoice together, to celebrate together that we are a part of the family of God. We want to believe everything that you say is true about us, and we want that to be our identity. In your heavenly name, we pray this, Jesus. Amen. Would you guys stand up?